Just wait a minute. We got a job for you. I don't want no job. Why not? It's too much, too much like work, man. Listen, this is strictly nowhere. You got a lot of sick, old-fashioned ideas about working hard and living clean, and it's all a lot of junk. I'm too tired to listen. I mean, work is for suckers. You know, I like my job, Skipper. I wouldn't want to lose it. This is job story number 15, and on this job story, I go back in time. I go to my first ever, my only employee reunion, job reunion. I'm not sure what to call it because I've never really been to one, but it started on Facebook and it made it IRL into real life. And we gathered on Saturday and we chatted and we talked and we reminisced. And a little later on in the program, I'll have an interview with the main man, Alan Kippist, behind the company Paper Direct. But first, here's Sweet Tea and me sitting in the car in the rain outside the reunion. It's me, Chris T, on a uh, job story. I think it's job story number 15, but this job story involves an old job of mine actually. Um, In 1988, I got hired at a company called Paper Direct in Lyndhurst, New Jersey to work in their telemarketing department. And um, it was inbound telemarketing. This was pre-internet. People couldn't go on the internet and order stuff. So Paper Direct was a was a, a company that specialized in paper for this new thing called the laser printer and the inkjet printer. And uh, because people were buying these little printers for their offices instead of getting stuff printed, they needed decent paper to print on, so this family decided to go into the paper business. But they took a different approach. They made all of these pre-formatted blank papers in wild colors with all kinds of designs on them, and they put out a catalog and people would call this 800 number and order from somebody like me. I was employee number 63, uh, and I'm sitting here in the car right now in Lindhurst, where the company was located, and uh, Sweet Tea is with me. Let's. Why don't we role play and see how you used to do it? Like, I'll sure. be the customer, and you'll be the uh, telemarketer. Okay. Okay? Yeah. So you want to do ring, ring, ring? Ring, ring, ring. Hello, Paper Direct. How may I help you? Hi, I'd like to order some paper. Great. Do you have our catalog with you? Um, no, I don't. I was just thinking about uh, getting some paper that I could draw on. Do you carry anything like that? Well, we have a general purpose paper. Are you looking for any particular weight? Do you want it to be light? Do you want it to be heavier? Heavier. Heavier, so you're leaning more towards towards a cardstock. Maybe like an 80... Oh, no, not a car. No. I want something with some tooth in it. You want something with some tooth. Okay, well, I would recommend... Uh, we have this very great general-purpose paper. Right now, a ream is five ninety nine. Wow, so, can't beat that. Yeah, and then uh, shipping is free if we can get you over uh, $30. So do you want to order anything else? Um, no, that'll be it. Oh, my God, you're so cheap. <laughs> Oh my god, you should never oh say to a customer, this is a trick. <laughs> by the way, by the way, you might be able to tell it's pouring down rain here. I don't but think I that was... I didn't wear the yellow dress. I don't think that was very good role play, but I... What do you mean? Because I, I couldn't remember anything about the shit that we used to sell. I mean, I'm tr- I was trying to remember... You sounded like, good. You sounded, oh, okay, you thank sounded you. You sounded like you had the $5.99. Well, you know... Telemarketing is where my radio career started, really. So I was talking to, talking to a lot of people. 
Um, so, yeah, I worked my way up in that company. I was there for quite a few years. It became a really big company. It moved from this location in Lyndhurst. We moved to Secaucus. Then we moved back to Lyndhurst. And I think I was there probably, I want to say, seven, eight, maybe nine years when the company was sold to uh, a division of 3M in Minnesota. And these people came out from Minnesota and, and proceeded to pretty much drive it into the ground by ruining anything that made it special. Mm. And so I saw the handwriting on the wall and I figured a way to get out of there. And that's that's what I ended up doing. But it was always a very special uh, situation for me, a very special job because um, I got more and more autonomy there. I eventually started working on all these special projects and whenever they needed something designed like a sign or some kind of handout or some kind of memo or um, they needed someone to shoot some video or record some audio. I also became the guy who would monitor all the other telemarketers. So there was this little closet with all these cassette recorders in it and I would have to go in there and swap out these cassettes and record telemarketers as they were. Oh, so that was the origin of, like, uh, this call is being recorded? And uh, for, for quality, quality, quality purposes, purposes, yeah. That was me. I would have to do that. And then that way the managers can review and see who was doing the right thing and who wasn't and so on and so forth. So eventually I had my own little department going on and I had my own little, you know, uh, set of equipment and I could even take stuff home if I wanted to. I could take home recorders and um, you know, video recorders and the whole damn thing. But uh, they they get they cut us a decent sized check when the company was sold. I, I wish I could remember how much it was for, but it was based on your length of service, and I had been there since the beginning, so I I seem to remember it was it was a sizable check. What do you mean by sizable? I want to say it was like ten thousand dollars or fifteen thousand dollars or something like big check, big change. It was like, like a big check, you know, and but. But again, I, like I, I remember getting that check and thinking, yeah, that's it for this job. That you know we're being bought out, yeah, and yeah. that's and it's pretty much over. So, uh, you know, about a year ago, I joined this Facebook group uh, called Paper Direct Employees, and then about three months ago, someone raised the idea of having a reunion, getting together, and I'm not really sure why people want to do that. I'm not really sure what to expect out of this reunion. I know that 22 people said they're going to the reunion. They're supposed to be inside at Harold's New York City Deli here in Lyndhurst on a rainy, horrible Saturday night. And I've dragged my wife along. So this ought to be interesting. We have no idea what to expect. But uh, it's $30 a head. And I guess all the deli food you could eat. Ugh. And so I hope that you brought a bag to stuff some food in because we're going to be taking shit home to get our $60 worth. So what do you say we walk in there right, and see what the go. hell this Stop is all about? For a bit. All right. Sweet T and I stepped into Harold's New York Deli restaurant and... I immediately started to feel like maybe we had done the wrong thing. The place is a dump, and I kept thinking any minute Gordon Ramsay was going to come in and tell people to put their forks down. But uh, 
We wandered our way into the restaurant behind some slow pokes, and then we went off to a banquet room, and uh, we were gathered around, and we fell into conversation with a Facebook friend of mine by the name of Bill Hall. He used to manage the warehouse there. And then we all sat down around these tables that were set very far apart until we moved them closer together so we didn't have to shout across the room. And we went around the table talking about what we had been doing since leaving Paper Direct. <laughs> yeah, what it took you so long. Uh, after uh, Paper Direct, and I think I left in 95 or 96, I, I got into radio and um, I worked at WNYC in Master Control. I worked for NPR in the New York Bureau. I was there during 9-11 working for NPR. Uh, went to CBS News Radio for a while and eventually ended up at Sirius, which later became Sirius XM. And at Sirius, I was on the Blues Channel and the Outlaw Country Channel. And my main job was I co-hosted a talk show for 12 years, and uh, that ended in April. So right now I am freelancing um, you might notice I'm recording this because I started a podcast uh, about jobs and working. It's kind of documenting my job search, but one of the things I'm doing is I'm helping people set up podcasts and do streaming audio on the Internet. So I'm still involved in the audio and the podcast world. And if anybody wants to set up a podcast or do some streaming audio, I let me know. Yeah, I was just telling my wife Janet on the way here that I had that closet with all the cassette right. machines in it and used to have to go in and record every telemarketer. And right. I see the telemarketing thing as the start of my radio career because I was. Were you at FMU? Yeah, I also. Yeah, back then I, I had. I was doing a show at WFMU, but that was volunteer. So, you know. Yeah, but you can't say you started radio after paper, right? Well, uh, during. During period. I was employee number 63. I still remember, actually, that I was employee number 63. When did you start? 1988. Oh, so you were. Yeah, so it was... Do you, does anyone really remember Chris's claim to fame? Am I allowed to say it for a judge? <laughs> uh, yes, but it had to do with, wow, what a great presentation. Well, he was a product tester. If he didn't break it, it didn't break. Right. Do you remember that? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I had to do QC on you took it. The laminated, right. you took everything home. He was like the gorilla test. <laughs> the story, right? Yeah. I mean, what, you couldn't fix it or crank it. It was it. What I loved about working there is uh, adults ran the place, and they trusted you, and they gave you autonomy. And I eventually worked my way into being special ops, basically. Uh -huh. right? I did all the audio and the video and a whole bunch of other stuff. He was the AD guy. Was it like, it was just Harold, right? Yeah, well, uh, all right, maybe not adults, but they trusted you and they gave you autonomy. Is that fair to say? Oh, Goodman! Tell us about the Mermaid Parade. In 1989, I started emceeing the Mermaid Parade at, in Coney Island, and uh, I've been doing it steady ever since. And this past June, we had our largest turnout ever, according to the New York City Parks Department. It was like three-quarters of a million people came out to watch the parade on Surf Avenue in Coney Island. And if you ever, you know, find yourself with nothing to do on the third Saturday in June, it's always the third Saturday in June, come on out, 
to Coney Island and I'll set you up. Is that the Saturday right before Father's Day Sunday? Yeah. Yeah. Okay? yeah. It's, it's always right around the um, equinox, the summer equinox. When the mermaids come out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what the parade is about. It's about... What exactly occurs at well, people dress up like mermaids and Neptunes and sea creatures, and they parade. And it was invented by this guy, Dick Ziggin, who started Coney Island, USA. And he revived an old Coney Island tradition called the Coney Island Mardi Gras. And he wanted to bring a parade back to Coney Island, and he thought the most ridiculous thing is mermaids parading. Because they don't have feet. So hence the mermaid parade. But it's, it's now become a worldwide thing, and a lot of people know about the mermaid. So you are the MC? I'm the MC. I, I announce the parade as it's passing by, so I stand up in front of the reviewing stand. And so you're like the Al Roker of the Mermaid Parade. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. I usually work with somebody else, and we do the color commentary, and we tell them what marching group they're looking at, and you know, try to make it. There should definitely be a paper direct um, load or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Chris, what are you at CBS? Oh. We were at CBS Radio. Uh, is when they bought the Mutual Radio Network. They needed people to run it. And I was amazed to find when I walked in there that they were still using Ampex reel-to-reel machines from the 1950s to run their actualities on. And everything had to be done by hand. So you were mixing from... And matter of fact, when they threw them all out, I took one home. Because they told me, you know, if you want it, get a truck and come and get it. So I think Hank is next. That was a little bit of audio from the recent Paper Direct reunion, a company I worked at for, oh, seven years or so, from 1988 to about 95 or 96. And we all gathered this past Saturday to talk and reminisce. And the main man at that gathering was somebody named Alan Kippist. I sat down with Alan, called him up, and did this interview. Here he is, Alan Kippist, former Paper Direct manager. Hello, Alan. Hey, hey, Chris. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. And yourself? Uh, I can't complain. Uh, weather's been a bit wet. It's like living underwater here, but I can't say anything like that to someone who lives in Seattle. <laughs> it's funny. In the summer... It's totally dry. We don't get any rain for the whole summer. Mm-hmm. It's a reprieve. Um, it's It was a pleasure to see you the other night. And uh, I, I just can't believe it was, what, 1995, 96 since we last yes, set eyes on each other. I know. And I was commenting to my wife about that this weekend when I got back. That what what a special, what special dynamics to look back after so many years and embrace friends and coworkers that way after 25 years it doesn't it didn't happen in any other company that I've worked that I've worked never for. I've never been to a work reunion never I I don't right. know if I've heard of people having them I mean was it <laughs> were you curious yeah. as to why I mean first of all we should talk about paper direct for a minute so people have some context it was a company that was launched in when, 86, 87? Around that, maybe a little bit after. Okay. Uh, I was employee number 63, hired in 1988 in the telemarketing department. And it was a company that 
uh, tried a novel idea, which was to sell paper directly to consumers in small quantities. Because previously, paper companies, if you wanted uh, a case of a bunch of reams of paper, you could do that. But this new thing came along called personal printers, and the laser jet and the inkjet created a revolution. But people... Uh, first of all, didn't want to stash that much paper in their home office. They had no room for it. They also wanted something besides plain white paper. And so this company uh, started selling small quantities of uh, paper directly to consumers. Did I screw anything up in that description? Well, that's exactly how we started. And then we built from there a whole line of accessories for desktop publishers to make them look good. Paper being one of the fundamental products, but pre-printing them, die-cutting them, and all the accessories that a typical desktop publisher might need. Mm -hmm. And what was your role in the grand scheme of things? Uh, I like to think I helped make that happen, implementing it, helping organize design, the business. So working with some of the founders, we went to high school together. And we met up years later, and they had this idea. And I happened to be working at Hewlett Packard at the time, selling laser printers into the marketplace. So I had a keen sensitivity to what could be going on in the in the space. Uh, we decided to join forces, and I focused very much on building the company, the organization, and executing the vision. So what was your, your background besides Hewlett-Packard? Had you gone to business school? Was there some kind of business degree? Or what was your, your bona fides? I had an undergraduate degree in finance and an MBA. But honestly, nothing prepared me for launching a business like that. It was really all learned on, on the job. It's, it's interesting uh, to hear you say that, Alan, because I thought of that phrase yesterday. I thought of how, because my wife and I were also talking about the reunion after we came back. I mean, I'm the only one who showed up with a spouse. I don't know why I thought everybody was bringing their spouses, but, but I'm glad I brought her because on the way home, we were talking about what an exceptional place Paper Direct was because they let you learn on the job. They, they, they set you off into these positions where... If you failed, that was okay. If you wanted to experiment, that was okay as well. And my wife was saying, like, I don't know if that exists any longer. Does that still happen? I don't know. Um, I imagine some more progressive companies, maybe Google and the like, are, are let, give you a certain amount of freedom to invent. But traditional companies don't. They're much more focused on the delivery uh, in a very specific way. Um, but keep in mind, we were a relatively small company at our peak. I think we we're about 500 employees. And at that size, you could still experiment. And when you get beyond that, you have to have a much more scalable organizational design. And I don't know if what we did at Paper Direct would work at, at a scale of thousands of employees. Well, was but there also work. part of that that was uh, about it being a private company and not publicly traded? Yes, certainly that helped. Yeah. Um, and and we were able to control the... We were able to control so many things because of the size. We were able to control the new the types of people we hired. We were able to control the 
uh, culture. Um, it was at a scalable level where we all knew each other and we were able to influence it heavily versus a larger company where you may have many sites and you're delegating things much deeper into many more layers. Um, so we took many risks. They paid off handsomely. And I can't yet comment this. If it was thousands of employees, could we have taken those same risks? And, and when I say risks, organizational risks. And well, they have worked just as well. Well, at the reunion on, on Saturday night, I counted 17 people that showed up, which I was impressed with. Uh, and we went around the table. I mean, first Alan subjected us to a test of memory by holding up old paper direct papers and asking us if we knew the stock name and the stock number. And so I, I failed utterly at that. Other people were pretty good at remembering that stuff. And uh, But when people got around to telling the stories, was there anything that resonated especially with you and, and reflected your experience? Well, first your comment about people knowing the names. I was shocked so many people did remember the model numbers of the, the different papers. It's 25 years, yet it's still, it, it's still um, it was so quick to so many people. I was so impressed. And they were enthusiastic about trying to come up with the solutions. Like it mattered right. to them. <laughs> and they were totally engaged in trying. And that was so delightful to see. It was more than just a job. It was a mission for so many people and a commitment. And they're still so proud of that. And you could see it in their responses and their enthusiasm on Saturday night. And that, that was a very proud moment to be part of that. And uh, to think back, we, we were part of that 25 years ago. It's 25 years later, it's still there. The energy is still there. So other things that I noticed was Many people kept in touch with many other people. The network was still very much live and strong of the former employees. And they spoke about it over the course of the evening. That was also really nice to see. So friendships were built. Relationships were built. And maybe richer and stronger relationships than you might see in other companies. It's interesting um, to hear you say that because I, I always – my pet peeve is when – People leave companies very often. They don't speak to their coworkers ever again. And coworker relationships can be fairly significant. It's a large part of your day. You become familiar with people. You become friendly with them. I uh, recently lost my job at the end of April. I'm not really in touch with any of those people, nor are they in touch with me. And I, I wonder what the difference was with a company like Paper Direct. It, it wasn't a typical corporation. It was more personal. We had more, we were more invested into, into the success. Um, we got to work with each other and like each other. Um, I think those were some of the elements that, that have kept the bond strong between many of the people. I think we were also, we, we started to admire each other's skills that over the years, many people have hooked up with each other, working with each other again because they saw the best of each one of us in that brief moment at Paper Direct, and they wanted them, they wanted those individuals again on their team in the next venture. And you see, I noticed many people had a chance to work with either vendors or other co-employees over the past 25 years. Yeah, I sort of pivoted into radio after I, I left Paper Direct. So unless somebody was looking to do some radio, I 
uh, no one was uh, contacting me saying we need your radio skills but I, I i looked at paper direct as a proving ground for a lot of of what i did later because i i say to my wife all the time i tell a marketing career was the basis of my talk show career because i had to talk to a lot of people at paper direct i had to go through a lot of phone calls and talk to a lot of people and uh, and get them to disarm when they would call in an angry state for instance and get them to sort of come along and become a repeat customer. I mean, I, I don't think it was a very complex formula that you helped create, which was, you know, keep the customer happy and treat your employees well. But it, it seems to be lost now. I mean, I hear again and again from people who are working in the gig economy and they are contracted for four months at a time. They can't get a staff position. They work 29 and a half hours because anything more than that they'd have to get health care and I, I just wonder I mean is that the wrong way to look at things is that um is that counterproductive in terms of creating uh, a successful business it's a good question <laughs> I'm wondering uh, at what point I should mention you work but, for uber though, I, by the way <laughs> but I do have some theories okay. I think that um being focused, maniacally focused on the customer and employee is a good investment. And I see some of the more successful companies, they they do focus on, on both. Um, Amazon is a great example, extreme focus on, on customers, and that, that pays off really well. Um, but I don't see as many companies as focused on employees as we were then. I think they found a different balance of, of employee obsession, then maybe we were too over the top and it was right for that moment and at that time and at that scale. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, most companies have pulled back from the employee obsession and, and I don't see much of it. I do think though that you're right. I think it is a strong ingredient of success. And I can't comment why it's not present in businesses today. Now, our landscape, when we look out, our, we tend to look at larger companies. There may be smaller companies that do have that in their DNA. We just we don't see them yet. They're not on our radar. They may be there. Right. Well, it's interesting to think of, again, publicly held companies and privately held companies, and maybe there's more room in a privately held company because your focus is not on the shareholder. I think a lot of, gets lost when... The focus is exclusively on on the shareholder and delivering value to the shareholder. Because shareholders might be employees, then again, they might not. So um, let's go back to Paper Direct for a minute because I, I'm curious. I've never really interviewed a former boss of mine to know what I was like as an employee. You know, what, what you thought of me as an employee. And there's no need to gild the lily. I mean, I would like an honest uh, appraisal because... Now that I'm currently out of work, I'm doing a lot of reassessing and trying to figure what my value is and what I bring. So in terms of, and I, and I don't honestly remember who hired me. I wish I, I could remember. I don't know who I sat down with. Mm. Uh, but what was your thoughts about me as an employee? Um, it, you know, it's a really interesting question because, I, and I have an answer for you and I'll give it to you in just a moment. But what, I, what just struck me is that I could give you that feedback and it's been over 25 years and I still remember you from 25 years ago and the type of work you did. And it was so important and that 
employ employees were so important and the work they did that I could do that. And I don't know if I could do that with all my employees since and all the other businesses. So Chris Sackis, back at Paper Direct, you were a very valuable employee. You were hardworking. You were focused. Your ownership was very high. You took a task and you owned it. And in the case of doing the quality control of the um, other telemarketers, you built that into an institution for us with setting up the technology, setting up the process, and then implementing it. And for us, you uh, created a, a, a whole separate uh, division, the quality division, by yourself with very little guidance. And it was incredibly effective. And you really enjoyed the freedom that you were granted to engineer it, design it, and implement it. Of course, you calibrated with myself and Hank and other leaders around the company. You were really enjoying your work, and it was very obvious. You got to tinker. You got to invent. And through that invention, you built a process that really helped control uh, the type of experience we were delivering well, customers. nowadays, so, if you call uh, any kind of customer support, the first thing you'll hear is these calls might be recorded for quality control. And I think we were fairly early in doing that because we did sit down with people and play the tapes for them. And there was, I remember creating a form of some kind where the checklist yep. to see if they were doing the things that we wanted them to do when they interacted with customers. And it was a great course correction. It was a great way to sit down with people and say, you need to get stronger in these areas. Please stop saying this. Don't say that. Say more of this other thing. Whatever it might be, it was a way. And I think a lot of employees founder because they don't get that kind of guidance. They don't get feedback. I used to say at my old job all the time that we, I would go to my boss and say, I need some feedback. I, I need to hear, and, and I think feedback runs in both directions. I would also give my boss feedback. And that might be because of the paper direct DNA that there was always an open door. And the employees, no matter what level they were at, always felt like they can go to the management and say, yeah, I noticed this thing that's not working the way it should be. And you might be interested in what could make it work better. And no one in management ever said, yeah, no, you're not at that level where you come to me with your ideas. So what was it about you that, that made you open to ideas coming from everywhere? What was in your background, whether it was your family or your, your uh, education, that allowed you to be open to all of these people, no matter what level of the company they worked at? I felt very connected to the employee staff. It felt more like peers than employees. It felt like a community trying to solve the problem. And we, we were fortunate to hire really smart and talented people into that community and constantly infuse their ideas into the growth of the business. And it was a cycle, bring in talent, get them excited about what we're doing, let them invent a new product or a new service, embed that into the business. That'll, that'll invite more people into the business and more new ideas. And through that, we were able to hire many talented people, mostly through word of mouth. We're able to come up with hundreds, if not thousands of new products by letting employees be inspired to invent the design or the technology for the next product. Um, 
so it was a cycle. Now, wh why did we do that? It just felt like the only scalable way we could make this happen was hire the right DNA, hire people who are excited about inventing and problem solving, and let them do what they needed to do. It was bigger than one person or two people could, could manage, but a community could solve all those problems for us. Well, I, I, so, a couple of things are coming to mind, not to interrupt you, but it's what they nowadays call a flat organization, and yeah. meaning no hierarchy, but, but also the idea of a diverse workplace. I think a lot of companies are now paying lip service to it, and they're trying to do some form of greenwashing with a diversity push. But again, on the way home on Saturday night, I said to my wife, I remember that Paper Direct put a lot of women in positions where you didn't see them normally, like the IT department. They didn't. They hired uh, people from all over the social economic spectrum. They hired old people. They hired young people. They hired disabled people. I mean, it really did seem like a meritocracy, the kind of thing we hear about all the time, but rarely see. So what was what was the hiring philosophy was just get bright people who are inventive and put them in there and let them run. Yeah, yeah, that's, exactly. That's quite the philosophy. Again, we have the benefit of hindsight, sitting there on Saturday night, turning to each other and saying, yeah, I haven't really experienced anything like that since. I haven't really worked at a place like that since. Which I don't know if that is a sad commentary or not. How did you take it? I think it is sad because there should be more businesses that are experimenting in, in the fashion that we did. Well, uh, let's get a little caught up to nowadays. So what did you do after, and when did you leave Paper Direct? Because I left in, I think, 95 or 96. The company was sold. Um, we all got decent sized checks based on our length of service. And uh, I do remember being somewhat stunned by the size of my check. And I also remember turning to somebody when we took that picture on the lawn and saying, it's the beginning of the end. And uh, as I said to you Saturday night, and I told the story of being asked to work with uh, new management to essentially scare the employees who were there into performing. And uh, I went into a meeting behind closed doors. I was handed a book. I, I forgot to say this Saturday night. And the book was all about how fear is a motivator. And I was asked to sit in a room and put together a training manual uh, with, another, with another employee. And I think for three to six months, I dragged my feet and I tried to do my best not to give them what they wanted because it felt like a betrayal to everything that the company stood for. And I spent that time looking for another job. And when I found another job, I left. And uh, I didn't deliver the training manual. And it was my own form of protest. Because honestly, this company that purchased the company, they decided they were going to cost cut. So they started looking for, and I still remember this phrase, Alan, synergies across the divisions. Have you heard that one? Sure, sure, sure. As, as corporate doublespeak, we're looking for synergies across the divisions, meaning what do we need with two accounting departments? We'll just talk, we'll fire half of the accounting people. We'll have one accounting department. Now, I mean, obviously, corporations are in business to make money. I mean, no one's saying they're not. But I felt like the way that Paper Direct made money had some sense of honor about it. They, it, it was an, they went about it in some kind of honorable way. And no one is faulting owners just for deciding to sell when the time comes to sell. But um, at what point did you hang around to? 
I think I stayed for about a year after the transaction. Okay. And then I took a long uh, needed break. It was probably my first real vacation uh, from after starting Paper Direct, and I, and I took uh, six months off and backpacked around the world with my wife, and and then sort of reset life after that, and went into a series of other startups. None as a, as much fun or exciting or as successful as Paper Direct, mm-hmm. and then started entering into the bigger world of technology, corporate technology, companies like Register.com, Microsoft, um, Amazon, etc. And now, uh, and then Uber. So at Uber, what do you do? I run a division that supplies vehicles and vehicle solutions to our drivers. Not every driver uh, has their own vehicle, and we try to make a wide range of solutions available to them around the world. So I know that if you drive for Uber or Lyft, you can go and rent a car from a partner organization, whether it's Hertz or Avis or something, for a day. You pay a rate, and you drive that car, and you make money with it, and then you return it. So is it that kind of solution, or are these other solutions? Yeah, that's one. Okay. Um, and, and depending on the country, uh, we may actually have other solutions where maybe we lease the car to the driver. Right, because me, with a 1994 vehicle, I'm not driving for Uber or Lyft. They want a late-model car, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Uber is, you know, when you think about the gig economy, it's that's the one you think of. You think of Uber being a big part of the gig economy. So I know there are a lot of people who are of two minds of, about Uber. Some people feel like it's a great market-based solution because lots of times you can't get a cab and cabs don't want to go where you want to go and so on. But then other people say, look, it's this... Uh, kind of place where you're going to not have uh, health coverage, you're not going to have other benefits, and you're just going to be working and working and working. And we witnessed what happened in New York City recently with uh, cabbies, some of whom have committed suicide over the issue of their medallions not being worth anything any longer. So um, I I know you work for the company. It may be hard for you to, to talk to this point, but how do you see Uber and the disruption it's caused? I think that it gives employees, not employees, the you know, the drivers, the the uh, partners, uh, options. It it gives them choices in life to work part time, to work more than part time, to stop working, and it's totally under their control. So, from a driver perspective. You could use it as a fill-in or as full-time, and you can throttle it up and down, unlike any other type of employment. So from a, from a driver perspective, what we call our driver partners, what, what an incredible um, luxury to have where you turn it on and off at your leisure. From a customer perspective, it's changed transportation because we've been able to come up with the right technology, the right mix of, of drivers. It's transformed how you get around, how I get around, and how I, how my kids are rethinking technology and transportation. 
and they're and, not and, gonna drive and car ownership they're, they're as well. already seeing that they're not driving as much as I did at their age and they're relying more on these new technologies now have you been involved with any of the stumbles at the higher management levels in terms of advising has there have you had a, a seat in any kind of meeting about how do we deal with this crisis or that crisis? Uh, not specifically. I think mm. they do reach out to us overall to help um, advise on how we move forward. I have had the chance to restructure some of the divisions that have been um, impacted directly by some of the newer decisions of Uber. So, Yes, I'm helping solve many of those problems, but it's taking many people, it's taking the whole organization to transform and rebuild the culture. And where'd you Uber go? 2.0. Uh, I would appreciate your time today. Thank you uh, for speaking with me. And, and um, I, I want to wrap up by pivoting back to Paper Direct for just a minute because uh, I know when I first watched the TV show The Office, I had this I had this very bizarre feeling of like it's a paper company and uh, I know Dunder Mifflin was not paper direct but when you uh, ha- have you watched that show did you watch that show and did you watch it because of paper direct no uh, the common denominator was paper but we sold so many other things beyond paper we sold solutions mm-hmm. we sold technology it happened to be in the form in some cases of paper Right. But it was way beyond the standard ream of 500 pieces of blank white paper. Right. And so I look at it. We, we sold solutions and versus they sell plain paper. Right. And we were problem solving and they're selling, they're selling commodity. So I, I, I don't see, when I watch the show and I totally do enjoy it, we, we didn't really sell paper. You know, it's interesting to hear you say this because this sounds like something that would have made it into a script we would have given to a telemarketer because mm-hmm. one of the objections you would get on the phone is a price objection, and we had to handle price objections. People would say, why is your paper more expensive than this other paper? And we'd have to explain to them why. It's because it's not that paper. It's a much higher quality paper. We're actually offering you solutions. We have all different kinds of designs. We work with top designers. I mean, I some of it comes back to you if you remember it. If you if you exactly sit and right. think about it, it comes back. And to we so. gave them the solutions step by step. Here's the technology. Here's the templates. Here's the overnight delivery. Here's the frame to put it in. It was turnkey. You could start your own business. Big economy, essentially. Right. You can start your own business overnight. All you need is a computer, laser printer, and our catalog, and you could make someone look like a million bucks. Yeah, I'd be curious to know, like, how many businesses that are we now look at in, as an established business got their start with paper direct paper. That would be an interesting thing to look into at some point. Okay, I'm going to end with one last thing, which is if there was a business leader somebody you modeled yourself on or you thought had the right idea, the right approach to business, who might it be? Would it be a Steve Jobs? Would it be somebody else? Who do you see as an inspiration in terms of a business leader? Jeff Bezos. Okay. Wow. And you worked with Jeff Bezos. Worked in his company for many years. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think he sets the new bar. Okay. And so, I mean, now 
also I think is the wealthiest person on the planet at this point. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So there you go. Proof that treating your customers well. I again, maybe the employee side of the mix they need to work on because we hear stories about things that go on there. But were you treated well as an employee there? Yeah, totally treated well. Okay. But it wasn't the same celebration and fun that we had at Paper Direct. Of course, it's a more mature environment. Right. And so it has a different tone. You get a lot of stuff done, and it's a tough environment, but you produce things at an extraordinary level. Yeah. Like we did, but we just made it more festive. And I thank you for that, uh, Alan, and thank you for spending time with me as well, Alan Kippist. Um, as I continue my job search and I continue to document it uh, on Job Story, I'm sure I'll be reaching out to you for advice because at some point I'm going to have to sit down for an interview with something I haven't done in, I don't know, 18 years, somewhere around there. So um, maybe we'll be talking again. You'll, you'll be my employment guru. How's that sound? Happy to help. Happy to help you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Alan. It's good to talk to you. Take care. Take care. That'll do it for this job story number 15. My thanks again to Alan Kippist, my former manager at Paper Direct and currently at Uber, where I might end up for sitting down with me. I do appreciate it. Job Story is available via Apple and Google Podcasts, Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and YouTube. Go to shows.pippa.io slash jobstory for details and submit your job story at jobstorypod at gmail.com. You can also submit it on our Facebook group. That's facebook.com slash groups slash jobstorypod. Jobstory also has a phone number, Way4JobPod. That's 929-456-2763. Call and leave a job story of any length. And if you have a job story of 90 seconds or less, you can go to speakpipe.com slash jobstory. Friends, please tell your friends and family about Job Story and be sure to review Job Story on iTunes and elsewhere. Until next time, this is Chris T. Working hard and hardly working. So, working hard or hardly working? (laughs) I said, working hard or hardly working? Working hard or hardly working? Working hard or hardly working? It's a simple question! Are you A, working hard, or B, show? <laughs> Suppose you tune in next week to see if I'm still on the job.